You ready to get into the word together? Open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Luke chapter 4. As I mentioned earlier, it is uh, overflow October. We're living in this October overflow here, running over in October. And I understand we've got people watching this or listening to this maybe in November or maybe October of 2031, and that's fine too. Uh, Overflow and increase is not limited to these 31 days that we're in. But we're just following the direction of the Lord here to get some things stirred up on the inside of us, using this time that we're in right now to just get excited about what he wants to do and discover from his word what his will is concerning prosperity. Yeah, I said it, prosperity. Can't be afraid of these words. And we've been looking for the last couple of weeks into the scriptures Uh, Asking the question, is it God's will for us to increase? Is it God's will for us to overflow? And those are the two words that the Lord has had us focused in on over the last couple of weeks. Increase, say it, increase Increase. to to overflow. And in praying over this over the last couple of days and praying over you, I felt like I got something from the Lord that he wanted me to say to you. And I was thinking about last Sunday, and man, we got excited about overflow. We were talking about that cup, you know, the cup in Psalm 23, the cup that is not just halfway full, not even just filled to the top. It's that cup that overflows. He anoints my head with oil, and my cup does what? Runs over, overflow. And man, we got excited about that, as we should. But I got a sense this week in seeking the Lord that that was that might have been difficult for some people. It, it might have been difficult to, based on whatever situation you're in, to, to get excited about overflow. It's like, man, I can't even picture it. I'm, I'm so far behind or, or so far under the financial pressure or whatever kind of pressure you're facing that it can actually be difficult to even on the inside get an image of what it looks like to overflow. And every time you try to do it, and you start to see the cup running over, you look up and it's in somebody else's hand and not yours. And it's somebody else's life increasing and overflowing. And, and I understand that. It can be difficult to get that picture on the inside. And if that is you or you've been in a situation like that, then there's good news. You don't necessarily have to get this big grand picture of you overflowing. Can you start with some increase? Wherever you are right now, can you believe God that no matter where you are or what you've got, he's a good enough God, a big enough God, a great enough God, a kind enough God, a generous enough God that you could increase a little bit. Could you believe for just even a step towards increase? Well, the good news is if you can do that and you can just keep doing that, overflow is just simply the result of a little bit of increase and a little bit of increase, and a little bit of increase, and some more increase, and more, and more, and more, and more increase, and eventually, if the increase continues, you will begin to overflow. So wherever you are, and we are all in different places with this, but wherever you are, you can believe God, I'm telling you today, you can believe God for increase. If you're running your own business, you can believe God for a better month this month than you had last month. Amen? If you're running the finances of your family, you can believe for a stronger month this month than you had before. Just even a little bit of increase. And if you get to the end of it, it's like, well, man, yeah, well, we had $10 more at the end of this month. Glory to God. I said glory to God. 
don't despise that. Don't look down on that. And definitely don't be unthankful for that. Celebrate that. Because if you increase by 10 bucks and then you do that again and you do it again and you do it again and again and again, you know this. It actually turns into something significant that's making a, a big impact on your life. But if you aren't thankful for where you are and what the Lord's doing right now, it limits what more he can do for you. Amen. So we're looking to the scriptures to determine whether or not it's God's will for us to increase, to overflow, to prosper in every area of our lives, spirit, soul, and body. And we've been focusing in even on material prosperity, financial prosperity. And you don't have to turn there. You're in Luke chapter 4. But let me remind you what the book of Colossians chapter 1 says in verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul by the leadership of the Spirit of God, is praying for these people that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, so much has been said about God and God's will and, and whether we can understand it, whether we can't, we're mere mortals, how could we ever think these high thoughts? But none of that is Scripture. Here we see Scripture. And what the Spirit of God is leading this man to pray is that you'd be filled with it. With what? The knowledge of God's will. That it's not some mysterious, unattainable, too high thing that you and I could never attain to. No, he's praying that we'd be filled with it. That we would have firsthand experiential knowledge with the will of God. And knowing what his will is for our lives. Knowing, knowing what his will is for all men for all time. This is not too big. This is not too grand. We can be filled with this. But why would that be important? Because faith begins where the will of God is known. In other words, you can't have faith for anything if you don't first know it's God's will for you to have that. You could not have faith to be born again if you didn't know God willed and desired to save you. You couldn't have faith to be healed if you didn't know it was God's will to heal you. You can hope it is. You can wish it was. But that's not faith. Faith is confidence in the will of God. And we can be filled with the knowledge of his will so that we can put faith and, and demonstrate a fully persuaded faith. Well, what about when it comes to prospering? Prospering materially, prospering financially. Well, you cannot have faith for any of these things until you know that you know that you know it's God's will for you to prosper in those areas. And so that's what we're doing. We are, we are also doing what we see here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove, that you may prove it. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? If I want anything for my life, I want, it, I want to be living proof of the will of God. I want to be living proof of the goodness of God. Don't you? I want to be living proof of the faithfulness of God, of the kindness and the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God. I want my life to prove his will. 
And that's required because you got a lot of people in this world going, prove to me there's a God and I'll believe. And God's not opposed to proving himself, but he doesn't do it the way the unbeliever demands. Oh, he's given proof. You are the proof. Your life is supposed to be the proof of the existence of God. Your life should be living proof that not only does he exist, he's good. He's kind. He's merciful and gracious. And he provides. How does this happen? By the renewing of our mind. And we talked about how that word renewing literally means renovation. And in any good renovation project, it starts with demo day. It starts when you get in there and you rip out stuff that's old, that won't hold anything up. You rip out things that don't belong. You rip out things that aren't part of the new design. You got to do some demo in the place that you're renovating. Before you can put new stuff in, you got to get old stuff out. And you got to do that same thing in your thinking. There's a lot of tradition that tries to influence the way we think concerning the will of God. There's a lot of what we've heard passed down from generation to generation. Things that mama said and daddy said and grandmama and grandpappy said. And we just took them as scripture. And we would be surprised if we'd ever actually look a little deeper to find out, wait a second, that's not a scripture. Things that they thought about God, believed about God. I challenge you to take everything you hear or have heard or built your life on. What you've believed about God and find it in the Bible. Find it in the Bible. Because that's where we find the will of God. We don't find it in tradition. We don't find it in somebody else's experience. And we certainly don't find the will of God in somebody else's lack of experience. We determine God's will by looking in his word. And that's why we as a church read that chapter every single day, Monday through Friday. That's why we're looking at it together every day, every day, every day. Because as you look at it, you are determining, discovering God's will for your life. I gave you two places to look for the will of God. Number one, we look to his word. But in addition to that, which is really saying the same thing, just a more narrow look it's looking to Jesus. Jesus in the scripture is a living proof of the will of God. So whatever you see in him, whatever you hear him say, whatever you see him do, you know that that is the will of God. Every message that he preached, every miracle that he worked, you don't have to wonder, is it the will of God to heal? Because you see Jesus do it. You don't have to wonder, is it the will of God to save? You see Jesus do it. So where do we find the will of God? We look to the word and we look at Jesus. And the same thing's going to have to be true concerning prosperity. You want to find out if it's God's will? Look to his word. Amen. So let's look to his word and let's look to Jesus today once again to find out and determine if it's God's will for us to increase and overflow. Luke chapter 4. Did you find it? Good, because I gave you like 13 minutes to find it. Luke chapter 4 in verse 18. Well, back up to verse 16. It says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. I want you to make that connection. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is, this is where Jesus was from. Came, came home, hometown. And as his custom was, 
he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So we have reason to believe that this is not just something Jesus did once here in his hometown. This is something he did in places all over. This was his custom. He went into the synagogue and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, this is what Jesus said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Listen to it again. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has, say it with me, anointed me. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. I want you, for the sake of what we're talking about today, to begin right now making this connection, drawing the line between these two dots, the spirit of the Lord and the anointing. What did Jesus say? The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Now we're going to keep reading, but let me, let me add this right here. Let's, let's, let's begin to understand what it means to be anointed, what the anointing is. Uh, you look through the scriptures going all the way back to the book of Exodus, Leviticus, when, when God had appointed Aaron to be the high priest, that Aaron stepped into that office through the anointing that came on him. And there was a whole process that went with that. It was an outward demonstration that represented what God was doing in and through that office. You remember the, was it the psalmist that said, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He said it's like that oil, that precious oil that was poured over the head of Aaron. And you remember that psalm that talked about the oil starting at the top of his head and running down his face to his beard, all the way down his clothes to the hem of his garment. This was anointing him into that office in that place as high priest. Our version of anointing, if you've ever seen it at all, it's slightly different these days. Our, our anointing is usually a, a bottle of oil about that big. Has anybody ever seen this? This is what it was in the church where I grew up. It was a bottle, bottle of oil about that big, and the, the preacher, the pastor, would take the bottle and, like you're putting on perfume or something, it's like kind of tip it over real quick, get a little dab there on your finger, and, and, and anoint the person. And there is certainly anointing through the New Testament. You see it there too. But man, you go back and look at the scriptures in the Old Testament. This was not like a little dab on the forehead. This was get covered in this stuff, saturated. And actually the word to anoint literally means to smear into, to rub onto. And that's what was going on with Aaron. And it represented something. It represented him stepping into an office, stepping into a place of ministry, but not just the place that he held. Check this out. It was also the spiritual equipment needed to do the job. Now think about the natural job that you and I do, the natural jobs that we're in. If somebody hires you to do a job, They've got this big task for you to do and they've outlined everything and they've set a due date and they've set very clear expectations and they want it done. They want it done right. They want it done soon. And then they just leave you to do it without the equipment to do the job. That's frustrating. 
Is it frustrating to anybody else to think that we've hired you to, to input all this data and they give you, you know, about two feet of, of folders and paperwork and all this data, thousands of lines of data that all need to be entered into the computer and it's all got to be done by Friday at eight, right? Yeah. Big job. Now you can, you can do it, but they turn to walk out of the room. You're like, okay, just one quick question. Can I get a computer? No. So you want me to input the data? Yes. Into a computer? Yes. Can I get a computer? No. What do you lack? You lack the equipment to do the job, right? Are you with me this morning? You need some equipment. I don't care if it's putting data in a computer or digging a ditch. If somebody wants a ditch dug, fine, we can do that. What do you need? Can I get a shovel? No. That's frustrating, man. I need some equipment to do the job you're asking me to do. The anointing is the equipment. When God gave, whether it was Aaron or a different priest or a king or a prophet, somebody stepping into a ministry, every time they did that, there was a process of anointing them and it represented the spiritual equipment being imparted to them to do what they were being called to do. That's the anointing. But it wasn't just equipment. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, put that verse on the screen for us. Isaiah 10, 27. I'm going to read this to you in several translations in a minute, but look at it just here in the New King James. It says, it will come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed. Why? How? Because of the anointing. So not only is the anointing the spiritual equipment to do the job, it's actually power. The anointing is power to do what? Remove burdens and destroy yokes. That's what the anointing is. It's equipment and it's power. The equipment to do the job, the power to remove any burden and destroy any yoke. Now go back to Luke chapter four. And what did Jesus say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has, say it out loud church, anointed me to. So wherever you see the anointing, it's always for something. It's not just for the sake of saying, I'm anointed. Look at me, everybody anointed, dripping in oil for what? Nothing. No, the anointing is for something. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to. What has he anointed Jesus to do? He's anointed me to preach. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He's anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim, anointed to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, anointed to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So as you look at this list, what we're looking at here is basically Jesus' job description. For lack of a better way of expressing it, Jesus had been hired by God the Father to do a job. And here's the outline of the job description. And he's saying, Jesus... Here's the human condition. All humanity 
is in this condition right now. What condition? Poor. Brokenhearted. Blind. Imprisoned. Captive. That was the, the condition that all of mankind was in until Jesus. And it's the, it's the condition that all mankind is still in unless and until they know him. Are you hearing me this morning? I want you to track with me. So God, forgive me, I don't mean to be you know, you know, disrespectful in this, but he is essentially commissioning Jesus to go do a job. Here's your job. The human condition, every man, woman, and child, they are all poor, brokenhearted, blind, imprisoned, held captive, and I am sending you to do something about it. But if you're going to do a job, what do you need to do the job? Come on, we just talked about it. Equipment. Jesus needed some equipment. And what was that equipment? The anointing. The anointing. Now, isn't it interesting to think Jesus couldn't do what God called him to do without the anointing? Did you know that's literally what the word Christ means? Translate it, it literally means the anointed one and his anointing. Jesus required the anointing to do what God called him to do. Peter even said some of these things in the book of Acts chapter 10. When he was preaching, he said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Didn't we read that a moment ago? Jesus is where? He's in Nazareth. He's in his own hometown where he was brought up. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Why is that an important detail? The Bible's not just wasting words. Why do we need to know it's Jesus of Nazareth? Is it just so we don't think it's Jesus from another town? Is it just so we don't confuse him with Jesus of Capernaum or Jesus of Jerusalem? No. This detail that, Je that the anointing is on Jesus of Nazareth reveals to us that when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself of all his deity. He emptied himself of all his, his godness and he became a man. And everything he said in this, in this life on earth, every word, every message, every miracle came as the result. You ready for this? As the result of a man anointed. It didn't happen because Jesus was God in the flesh. The miracles didn't take place because he was Jesus, God in the flesh. The miracles took place because he was Jesus, a man anointed. I hope you're hearing me this morning. So this equipment of the anointing was specifically for something, to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, to set at liberty the oppressed. Peter went on to say how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Are we making that connection? The Spirit of God was on him. He's anointed. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. As you look through this list and you discover this is the human condition, here's what I want you to realize. That every one of these things are a burden and a yoke. And Jesus was and is anointed to lift that burden and destroy that yoke. 
What this is showing us, though, is that in no way is poverty God's will for somebody. I mean, would you say that it's God's will for somebody to live brokenhearted? Of course not. Would you say that it's God's will for somebody to live blind? For somebody to live captive? For somebody to live oppressed? No, we know that. That's not God's will. We know that every one of those things are burdens and they are yokes. And we know that Jesus was and is anointed to lift that burden and destroy that yoke. But here's the good news. What did he come to do? How did he lift the burden of brokenheartedness? Through the anointing to heal. The anointing to heal lifts that burden. The anointing to preach recovery of sight causes the blind to see. The anointing to proclaim liberty sets people free. Check this out. The same anointing and the same anointing on on preaching sight to the blind will do the exact same thing that it will for the poor man. Man, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Come on. Listen, you got to use some faith with me on this. Listen to this. The spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus because he had anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. The anointed preaching of the gospel has the ability to do the same thing for the poor man that the anointed preaching of healing can do for the broken man. Ah, We're almost there. The same anointed preaching of the gospel has the same power to do for the poor man what it has to do for the broken for the blind, for the captive. And what this shows us is that poverty in no way, no way, no shape, no form is God's will. It's a burden. It's a yoke. And Jesus is anointed to lift it. Jesus is anointed to destroy that burden, to destroy that yoke. Amen. You believe he's anointed to open blind eyes. Come on, look through his ministry. Does God want the blind to see? Well, I don't know. Yes, you do. Look at Jesus. You know it's God's will because he did it over and over and over again. I don't know if it's God's will to heal the brokenhearted. Yes, you do. You know it is. How do you know it is? Because of Jesus. That's how you know. I don't know if it's God's will to to heal the oppressed. Yes, you do know it is because he did it like everywhere he went. You know it's his will. Well, I don't know if it's God's will for for me to abound or to be poor. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Look at Jesus. He anointed Jesus to do what for the poor? Preach the gospel to him. Isn't it funny that people want to argue with you whether or not prosperity is in the gospel? Here it is right here. Jesus was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. That should tell you right there, that's the only way to really, truly end poverty. And people are trying everything but that. We're going to end poverty, so we're going to start these feeding programs. We're going to end poverty, so we're going to take up worldwide offerings. We're going to end poverty, so we're going to go build houses and dig wells. That's wonderful. It is a good thing to give to the poor. We know that. It's a good thing to be a blessing. It's a good thing to feed and to clothe and to build. All of those things are wonderful. As long as you remember that man's greatest need is not natural, is not physical. It is first and foremost spiritual. And if you really want to end poverty in somebody's life, you preach the anointed gospel to them. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Thank you, Lord. 
And we'll be involved in some of these programs. I'm excited about it as the Lord would lead us. But we can never forget that what man needs more than anything is the gospel preached to him. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 15. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power. The anointing on the gospel has power. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes it. Thank you, Lord. So go back to Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. Let me read it to you again. It'll come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Okay, so we have determined here that poverty is not a blessing. It's a yoke. It's a burden. Let me read to you the definition of the word poverty as it uh, shows up in scripture. It literally means beggar. It means inadequate, insufficient, scarce, scant, and small. Listen again. It means beggar, inadequate, insufficient, scarce, scant, and small. I want to give you two words to connect to poverty. Number one, weakness. And as the result of weakness, poverty is inability. That's what poverty is. It's weakness. And because of the weakness, it's an inability. But on the other hand, this is how the scripture defines prosperity. The word prosperity literally means to advance. It means to be profitable. I like this one. To succeed in reaching. The word prosperity means to succeed in reaching. The word itself, it paints a picture of somebody reaching. Well, think about if you're prospering financially. What does that mean? It means you've got money at the beginning of the month and check this out, at the end too. Why? Because what you had reached. But how many people, what they've got is not reaching? How many people have more month than money left? Oh, it's happening all over the place. And it may be even happening in here. So we're going to have to find out, is that God's will or is it not? And if it's not God's will for me to come short, but if it's his will for me to succeed in reaching, we're going to have to find out how to do it. Prosperity means to succeed in reaching. We've got to make up our minds, decide it, determine it now, forever, never question it again. Poverty is not a blessing. And it's not the will of God. It's not his will that we beg. It's not his will that we live inadequate, insufficient, scarce, scant, small. It's not the will of God that we be weak and have no ability in our lives. We've got to learn to see poverty the way he sees it. He sees it as a burden. He sees it as a yoke. And he's given us the anointing to destroy it. Let me read some of these other translations to you from Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. We read New King James. It says the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Some of these other translations are interesting. The Amplified Classic says the yoke shall be destroyed. You see this? Uh, keep going there. The yoke will be destroyed because of fatness. One translation said anointing. This one says fatness. I didn't think I'd get very many amens on that. but <laughs> Fatness which prevents it, talking about that yoke, prevents the yoke from going around your neck. 
He's talking about somebody with a really fat neck. And look, listen, it gets worse. The uh, International Standard Version. Do we have that one, guys? I don't know that we do. It actually says it like this. The yoke will be destroyed because you've become obese. A lot of nervous laughter through the crowd. I know. This is what it says. But one translation after another talk about fatness because of the fat, because your neck is so fat. What is a yoke? You know what a yoke is. I mean, you got to think back to, to ancient history when, when they would put these wooden devices around the neck of a, of a slave or a captured prisoner. And this is what they would use to drive that person. And they would connect yoke to yoke to yoke to yoke. And they would have a line of slaves that could all be controlled by one person in the back just by steering that one. And the yokes that connected them around their neck that held on tight to their neck, it steered all of them. And it was, it was a, a device to, to restrict freedom. It was a device that, that enslaved a person to the will of another person. And what he's saying here is that thing that's been enslaving you. That yoke that's been tight around your neck will be destroyed. How? Why? Because your neck got so fat that it just broke apart that yoke. It paints quite a picture, doesn't it? But I'm going to tell you something. This is why Satan hates and is terrified of the anointing. This is why he hated it on Jesus. Do you realize that Satan didn't start tempting Jesus until right here in Luke. What's he seeing? The anointing that's on him. He recognizes that burden-removing, yoke-destroying power. Why does he hate it? Because that's his whole business. Satan's whole business is to build big burdens. He is in the better, bigger, burden-building business and will work for generations to stack up a burden on somebody so tall, so heavy, to the point where they don't even realize they're burdened anymore. They just think, well, daddy had this, and daddy's daddy had this, and daddy's daddy's daddy had this, and I guess this is just my life. It's a burden. He will put a yoke around somebody's neck, enslave them, addict them. Uh, What did Jesus say? I came to set at liberty the prisoner, the oppressed. He will oppress and imprison people with these yokes, and he will work tirelessly. Satan has no qualms whatsoever with spending a hundred years building a burden and installing a yoke on a people. And you don't want to know why he hates the anointing? Because a moment under the anointing, one moment can lift that burden and destroy that yoke. How was the yoke destroyed? Because of fatness, because of obesity. I mean, I know these things don't sound good to us, but there's a word I want you to think, increase. Isn't that what fatness is? Just too much, right? And come on, we've all seen it. We've all, we've all stared at ourselves in the mirror at one time in one way or another and said, well, you know what? That's too much. I've got a little too much right there, a little too much right there. And we don't think of it as a good thing. Hey, we're reading the Bible. And if you're reading fatness in the Bible, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And the yoke will be destroyed because of fatness. Get ready to shout. Listen to this from the Young's Literal Translation. Put that up there for us. Isaiah 10, 27 in the Young's Literal says it like this. Do we have it? No. Oh, we got to get it. I'll read it to you. 
Young's literal. It has come to pass in that day. Turned is his burden from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. And destroyed has been the yoke because of prosperity. That's a literal translation of the word anointing. Because of prosperity. That right there should tell you what prosperity is. It's increase. I mean, get the picture. Somebody enslaved with that yoke around their neck that's been around their neck and maybe they've been enslaved their entire lives. But the anointing, the Spirit of the Lord comes on them and they're touched with the anointing, that burden-removing, yoke-destroying power. Come on, what is poverty? It's a burden. It's a yoke. Jesus is anointed to destroy that yoke. How does the yoke destroyed though? Increase. Increase. Let me, let, me give you a, let me give you a really good, deeply rooted scriptural example of this. Popeye the sailor man. Amen? Amen. I know that's a cartoon going back generations. Is anybody familiar with Popeye the sailor man? So you've seen it then, right? And you know that it was a comic strip in a cartoon for, I don't know, decades and how they got away with showing the, basically the exact same story every single time. But that's what it was. It was the same story every time. Popeye, he's in love with a girl. Her name, please. Olive oil, type of the Holy Spirit. And he's just loving life with olive oil. But the problem is there's this other guy who's huge, massive, who's also in love with olive oil. And so when, what was his name? Brutus. Brutus, is that right? So when Brutus would show up inevitably in every cartoon, he wants olive oil for himself. And so he starts fighting Popeye. And man, Popeye is just getting it handed to him fist after fist in the face and the gut. And man, he is just getting pummeled literally into the ground. And, and it looks like Popeye is just done for. He's got no strength. Brutus is too big, too strong, too, too tough for po poor Popeye, you know? And so Brutus, now that he's beaten Popeye, he does what you do when you love a girl. He, he kidnaps olive oil and he ties her to the train track. Every episode. But what happens inevitably every time Popeye looks like he is out for the count, done. He's a goner. And then he remembers what? Spinach. Oh yeah, I've got a can of spinach in my pocket. Which I can see how it'd be easy to forget that you have a can of spinach in your pocket. So he reaches in his pocket as you do, as we all do to grab our can of spinach and he gets it out. And every time he's able to get that spinach into him. Come on, I'm preaching now. He gets it into his system. And what begins to happen right away? This strength begins to come. It's this instant strength. And every time he, his muscles begin to grow and, and muscles upon muscles. And he starts busting out of his shirt like me right now. Um, almost, not quite. But what's he doing? That, that fabric is just beginning to rip. What's happening? Increase, 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 right? And it's beginning to tear. What, what about the Hulk? Didn't he do the same thing? Man, the poor guy going through an entire wardrobe, just ripping it apart and just wasting clothes. But that's the picture 
that this is painting. You, you destroy this yoke around your neck. This yoke of poverty is destroyed by the anointing that causes you to increase. The anointing that causes you to increase and grow. And I want to take just a minute. This I've already taken longer than I had to take. But I want to give you a good example of this from the scripture. I know we're laughing about Popeye. We're laughing about the Hulk. You remember a guy named Samson? You go back and look at Samson's life in the book of Judges. And we all through, I don't know, children's church or the retelling of the story generation after generation, we all have a picture in our mind of Samson, right? Six foot six, 280 pounds, muscle bound, ripped, not an ounce of fat on him, you know, just perfectly chiseled and cut. But as you look through his life in the scriptures in the book of Judges, there's not one reference to his physical stature. Not one. You never read about him being taller than anybody else. You never read about him being physically stronger than anybody else. But what you will see five times in his life, these words, the spirit of the Lord came on him. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he slew a thousand Philistines. The spirit of the Lord came on him. And he killed a lion with his bare hands. The spirit of the Lord came on him. And he carried the city gates away. The spirit of the Lord came on him. The spirit of the Lord came on him. What's happening? That's that anointing. It's the anointing. And that helps me. And it should help any other guy that looks like me. Samson's great strength was not because he could bench, you know, 800 pounds. It was the spirit of the Lord coming on him. It was the anointing coming on him. That's what the anointing is. It has the power to transform. In the book of 1 Samuel, we read about a man named Saul. And I'll just, you don't have to turn to all these scriptures. I'll read them to you. But in 1 Samuel chapter 9, the Bible says in verse 1, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And verse 2 says, he had a choice and handsome son. The Bible calls you handsome. You are handsome. You are good looking. He had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. This guy is tall. He's Jewish, you know, he's dark, you know, he's, he's tall, dark, and handsome. Other translations uh, talk about his father. He was a mighty man of wealth and power. So Saul comes from money. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome. He is every church girl's vision list. Now, I won't read this whole story, but in a nutshell, what happened was Saul's father, Kish, lost some donkeys. So he says to Saul, his son, he says, take a servant with you. You guys go find the donkeys. Well, read this. They go looking and they're looking in this city. They can't find them. They look in this town. They can't find the donkeys. They're looking everywhere for the donkeys. Don't you hate it when you lose your donkeys? And the Bible says they, they walk up to this group of young women drawing water. It doesn't record the girls giggling, but you know, they did. I mean, this guy comes walking up and she's like, oh, I saw him first. And cause it's tall, dark, handsome, rich, right? And, and what had happened was the servant of Saul, Saul wanted to go home. He's like, look, we can't find the donkeys. My dad's going to be worried. His servant said, somewhere around here, there lives a prophet. 
And if we can find the prophet, maybe he can tell us where the donkeys went. Sounds like a good plan. Well, they walk up to this group of girls and they say, where's the prophet? And they said, <laughs> he's right up there. So they point them up the road and sure enough, they walk up, they walk up to this man, happens to be Samuel, the prophet. And Saul says to him, we're looking for the seer, the prophet, is he around here? And Samuel says, I'm the prophet. Now what's cool about all this is the day before, God had spoken to Samuel and he began talking to him about a man. In verse 16 of chapter 9, God said to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you will anoint him. Somebody say anoint him. Anoint him commander over my people Israel that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I've looked upon my people, their cries come up to me. So God's already started talking to Samuel about Saul. So fast forward a day later, Saul walks up to Samuel. Samuel says, I'm the prophet. I'm the one you're looking for. And let's see, it says in verse, uh, skip down to 19. First Samuel 9, 19. Samuel answered Saul and said, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the high place. For you're going to eat with me today and tomorrow I'll let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys, Saul never even mentioned the donkeys, but Samuel brought it up. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't be anxious about them for they've been found. Now listen, it doesn't even end the verse. Right on the heels of talking about the donkeys, he says to Saul, and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? What's this about? Israel's crying out for a king. And Samuel is prophesying to Saul, you're going to stand in that place. And the Lord had already told him, I'm going to show you who I want you to anoint. Now remember what we know about Saul physically, right? Tall, dark, handsome, rich. But as soon as he gets a glimpse of the bigness of what God's called him to do, I want you to notice what he says to Samuel in verse 21. Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me like this? Other translations bring out that he said, uh, I am only a Benjamite. I'm the smallest. We're the least. We're the most insignificant. It's interesting to me that somebody who looks like they've got it all together, somebody who fits the bill on the outside, when you get a window into people's souls, you don't know what's going on. And what opened that window up was the call of God on his life to stand in a high place in an office. And what it revealed was even though this guy's tall, dark, handsome, and rich, in his own eyes, he's small. He's insignificant. Why do you speak to me like this? Why do you talk to me like I'm somebody? But Samuel told him what to do. He said, I want you to go up before me. We're going to sit down. We're going to feast together. And if you fast forward to the end of this chapter, it says in verse 27, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. He said, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on the head and kissed him and said, is it not because of the Lord, not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? He's saying, this is why I'm doing this. 
this oil that I'm pouring all over you, rubbing in, smearing in, all of this is because God has anointed you to be commander over his inheritance. A very unlikely person. Yeah, maybe on the outside he looks like it, but inward, insecure, right? Introverted. How can you speak to me like I'm somebody? But then this anointing hits him. And if you were to look at these next few verses, Samuel begins to explain, here's what's about to happen. Hang with me just one more minute. This is so so significant. Samuel's explaining to him, here's what's about to happen to you because of this anointing. Now pay attention because your enemy does not want you to hear this. Are you with me? He began to tell him, you're going to leave, leave here. And as you go, he said, there's going to be some musicians and they're going to be singing and praising. And as you keep walking down the path, there's going to be a group of prophets. And he said, you're going to meet the group of prophets. And I want you to see what he said to him in verse six, first Samuel 10, six, put that up there for us. This is because of the anointing verse six, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. You will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. This is the power of the anointing. It's the equipment to do the job, but it's the power to be what God has created you to be. To be transformed from whatever you are right now into whatever he's called you to be, to do whatever he's called you to do. This is the power to do it. He said, you're going to be turned into another man. Does that sound like Samson? Samson, who was maybe physically all of about 5'11", 155 pounds, till the spirit of the Lord comes on him. And here comes this strength. Here comes this, check it out, ability. Poverty is weakness, inability. Prosperity is strength. It's ability. Where do we get that? The anointing. No matter what you've been and what you've been in bondage to, burdened by or yoked by, the anointing to prosper is on you. The anointing to prosper is on you. And it has the power to turn you into another man, to turn you in to another woman. And this goes on. It's hilarious. The spirit of the Lord will come on you. You'll prophesy with them. You'll be turned into another man. You get down to verse nine. So it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And it says in verse 10, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he prophesied among them. Verse 11, it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Did you hear that phrase? All who knew him formerly. What does formerly mean? Before, before what? Before the anointing came on him. There were people that knew this kid yesterday. And they knew him to be a certain way yesterday. And now they see him today. And all of a sudden this insecure, this shy, introverted person is standing up with prophets declaring, thus says the Lord, the Lord God of Israel says, 
They're looking at him and their question is, what got into you? What got all over this guy? What's the answer? The anointing got all over him. The power of God, the equipping to do the job and the power to become another person. The anointing to prosper is the power to transform you wherever you have lacked, whatever you have lacked. The, uh, the anointing has the ability to destroy that yoke. Glory to God. Now stand on your feet and let me read you this one last scripture before we go. I meant to get here like 15 minutes ago, but I didn't do it. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. What does this have to do with financial prosperity? What does this have to do with us and how we prosper? In Philippians chapter 4, and I believe we'll look at this verse again more next week. But Paul is writing to this church in response to an offering that they sent. A financial offering. And he said in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. That means to be low, to be humble. I know how to abound. That means overflow. He said, I know how to be abased. I know how to be abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You want to know his secret to it? He said, I know how to do this. That's, that's some valuable knowledge, isn't it? I mean, know-how in any area of life is valuable. If you know how to do things that other people don't know how to do, then the people who don't know how to do it will pay you, the person who knows how. Know-how is valuable. Know-how is precious information. And among all the know-how that you or I could have, the know-how to be abased, the know-how to abound, the know-how to be full, to, to be satisfied, to suffer need, wherever you are in that journey, the know-how of how to do it is so valuable. I mean, the know-how to get from not enough to more than enough. Who would like to have some of that know-how? The know-how of how to get from abased to abounding. How to get from suffering need to having all and are full. There's some know-how involved. Anybody interested in that know-how? Well, Paul's about to give you the secret to it. He said again in verse 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I've learned how to be full, how to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. What's the secret, Paul? We got to know. Come on, help us. We got to know. Tell us what the secret is. Verse 13, I can do all things through, wait, 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 through what? What is Christ? What's that mean? The anointing. That's the secret. The anointing. I can do all things through that anointing that does what? Strengthens me. This is not based on my physical build. This is not based on anything I can do in myself. My, my own strength, my own mental strength, my own physical strength. Certainly not my own financial strength. But I can do it. I can do all things through that anointing that strengthens me. Amen? And he goes on to say to them, because of that offering they sent, he said, I have all. I am full and I abound. I'm overflowing. Increase, increase, increase. Go ahead, guys. This is what prosperity is. And the anointing to prosper 
it brings increase into your life. Increase, increase. And whether it all happens in a moment of time or whether it happens over time, it's increase, increase, increase. And I'm telling you, if you've been burdened and yoked by poverty or lack or coming short, if you've been living for years and just seems like you just never have enough and never have enough, never have enough, that's a yoke. And it's not the will of God for you. And the good news is that yoke can be destroyed by the anointing. The anointing, which is the Spirit of the Lord on you. It's the Spirit of the Lord in you. Why don't you just say it? I am anointed to prosper. Say it again. I am anointed to prosper. The prospering anointing that removes the burden and destroys the yoke. The yoke of poverty. That anointing is on me now. The prospering anointing is on me now. I'm telling you, there's coming a day. Two things are going to happen. All who knew you formerly, all who knew you in the condition that you were in, running short, running out, living in lack, they're going to see you and they're going to say, what got into you? What got all over you? And what are you going to say? Well, my business sense, and I read this book about, no, 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 no. What are you going to say? It's the anointing. It's the spirit of God to God be the glory. It's the anointing. So two things are going to happen. One, all who knew you formerly are going to recognize you've been turned into somebody else. And number two, you know what's going to happen? Satan, who's been driving this yoke in your life, is going to come in one day. And that thing is going to be broken, splintered, all over the ground. And he's going to look at you and say, you broke my yoke. You broke my yoke. I said, it's coming. That day is coming, church. Has anybody received that this morning? That the yoke of poverty is being broken? I'm declaring it in Jesus' name. The yoke of poverty is broken over everybody in this family. This yoke of poverty is broken over this community. This yoke of poverty is broken over Colorado Springs. It's broken over Green Mountain Falls. It's broken over Woodland Park. And anybody suffering at the hand of that burden and that yoke, they're coming out of it in Jesus' name. Because you are a carrier of that anointing. You are a carrier of the anointing to prosper. And what's on you, what you're increasing with, is about to overflow out of your life, spill over, splash over onto somebody else, and they're coming out, and they're coming out, and they're coming out. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text Legacy in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you, and remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.